So we are continuing going verse by verse through the little letter of 2 Peter, and we've kind of identified the theme of 2 Peter as enduring to the end. Peter writing to these people that he's written to before about the fact that not only are there going to be attacks from without, or is there going to be persecution and suffering, like he wrote in 1 Peter, but also there's going to be attacks from within. There's going to be false teachers that come in who teach wrong things about God, wrong things about His Son Jesus, wrong things about what it means to receive His grace through faith. And so he's going to, he's addressing those issues. And we, we saw in last, the last chapter, in chapter 2, as we took three weeks to go through some pretty heavy things, we saw about the false teachers, what their methods are, what their character is like, what their end is, which is judgment. And he kind of switches gears here a little bit. He wants to make sure that he's now kind of focusing on the believers. He's really wanting to encourage them. In fact, that scene in, in, in the reality that five times in chapter 3, he uses the term beloved. Like he starts right here in verse 1, beloved. And we read those little terms like that in Scripture sometimes, and we think, okay, beloved, that's really nice. Peter must have been a nice guy. He said Beloved. And we forget that he meant that. Not only was he, uh, I'm sure, a genuinely nice guy, but he was a pastor that cared for these people. He loved these people, but his love was motivated because he knew these people were loved. They were the beloved, that God loved them, that God cared for them. In fact, in this first section, he's going to talk about the trustworthiness of God's Word. And so it's, he's wanting them to understand, listen, this Word comes from a loving God. Even these difficult warnings come from a loving God, a God who cares for you, a God who so loved you, He sent His only begotten Son. And so he addresses them as beloved. He wants them to understand that what he's revealing to them, what he's said thus far, what he's going to continue to say, is the revelation of a loving God. It's because God loves these people that he's warning them about how bad false teachers are. And we don't always think that way, do we? And in our culture today, when we talk about love, what we really mean is don't ever say something negative about somebody. So to love somebody means you never question what they do. That's what we think love means in this culture. But the one who is love, God Himself, He says, no, love always rejoices in truth and never rejoices in iniquity. Love points out error. And it does so because it's love. God does so because He's love. And so he starts off this section that way. He says, listen, beloved, I'm now writing this second epistle to you. And look what he says. In, in both of these epistles, he said uh, he wanted to stir up their pure minds by way of reminder. Now, that word for pure, it's, it's really it's an important word because it means genuine. It means tested and found genuine. And so it's important that you understand that in this section specifically, Peter is wanting to encourage genuine believers. He's wanting to say, listen, I'm not just talking to anybody. I want to encourage you guys who have believed the gospel, you guys who have embraced Jesus by faith. I really want to encourage you in this. I want you to be strengthened by these things. 
Now, the Bible talks about the fact that a believer is not just somebody who understands the gospel. It's someone who trusts Christ. That's what it means to believe. It means to entrust Christ with something. You're entrusting Jesus with your life. You're entrusting Jesus with your salvation. You're recognizing, okay, how could I ever approach God? Well, I put my life into His hands. I entrust Jesus with my life. I, I, I trust that He's given me what it takes to approach God. And it's not just those that hear the gospel or understand the gospel that are actually believers. It's those who actually believe. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So what, what we do here when we teach you guys the Bible is we're wanting to encourage you not just to believe the letters on the page, but to believe the one who gave them to us. We want you to trust God. God wants you to trust God. He wants you to trust Jesus. That's why we're telling you these things, okay? But don't deceive yourself in thinking if you hear and understand, that means you automatically believe. Because faith is bigger than just understanding. It's about entrusting. If it, if it wasn't so awkward in the English language, I think they should be called trusters, not believers. <laughs> Because that's what it is. It's about this relationship. I'm trusting that Jesus has provided all that I need to be right with God. I've entrusted Him with all that I have because there's no other option but Him for me to be right with God. And so he goes, I want to stir up your, you guys are genuine believers. I just want to stir you up and remind you of what you already know as genuine believers. Verse 2, he says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Now, don't, don't miss out what he's saying here. Peter is equating what he and the other apostles write with the writings of the Old Testament prophets. He's saying, look, what we've written is just as authoritative, has just, much, just as much authority as what the Old Testament prophets wrote. Now, this is important because you guys remember how the Old Testament prophets, how, how God's people were supposed to recognize if the Old Testament prophets were actually prophets? Do you guys remember that? God had said, he said, listen, okay, God says in the Old Testament, here's how you know and someone speaks in my name. Don't be afraid, test them. If they speak in my name and what they say does not come to pass, they're a false prophet and stone them with stones. Now, it sounds harsh, but you can see it'd be a pretty good motivation for false prophets to keep their mouth shut. So don't speak unless you're actually going to speak for God, you know what I'm saying? Or you're going to get a beat down by the whole, all of God's people, so don't do that. And so there was this strictness so that they could hopefully understand, okay, this is a true prophet. Then as God revealed things through true, true, through true prophets, as He did through Moses and others, then they could compare what this person was saying also to what those prophets said. Now, this is a big deal because to a Jewish person, and Peter was Jewish, you would have thought, okay, this is how we know God. This is what makes us set apart as God's people. God has given us His Word. So for him to say what we say as apostles is of the same authority as what they said as prophets is a huge deal. Now, imagine, what would you guys think? How would you feel if I said to you right now, now listen, I'm the pastor of this church. And whatever I say, you write in the back of this book to this equal authority. What would you think? 
you hopefully would pick up some rocks yourself. Or at least check me out of here. Because you know that's, oh, no, dude, uh, no. Nice guy, John, but you're not that authoritative. Sorry. You would question it rightly. So listen, Peter understands how serious it is for him to say this, but he's wanting them to understand, listen, the words that we speak, just like the words that the, uh, that the prophets of the Old Testament spoke, these are the words of God and they're trustworthy. They've been given by the revelation of God. They've been given for your edification. In fact, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy about the Scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes this, he says, listen, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood, notice, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, what we have going on here is is that Peter wants these people to know, listen, we've talked about heavy things. I get this, guys. These are heavy things to talk about, Peter would say. But you need to know that the God who loves you has given you his word and you can trust it. His word is trustworthy. He set it up so that you can take him at his word. So then he says, here's here's the issue he wants to bring up first. He says, knowing this first, here's here's a priority. That scoffers will come in the last day walking according to their own lusts. Scoffers. Now, a scoffer is someone who scoffs. Do you know what it means to scoff? It's one of those words that we kind of like, yeah, I think I know what it means, but give me a definition, it's kind of harder. Who's this perfect, you know, they scoff, they, they, they scoff, they're scoffing, they're scoffers. What does it mean? It basically means this, it means to make a mockery of something that's said, okay? It means to, it's, it's more than just poking a bit of fun at a friend. Scoffing is when you, you make light of what someone's saying in authority, Go, yeah, as if, that's scoffing. And Peter's saying, listen, you need to know that the Old Testament prophets and us, the New Testament apostles, have warned you of the same thing. That in the last days, and in case you don't know, the last days are uh, the time between when Jesus came back the first time and when he comes back the second time. So Jesus came the first time, obviously, born from Mary, right? Uh, Mary was a virgin, conceived supernaturally, gives birth to Jesus. He grows up as a real man. He is a real man, dies on the cross, rises from the dead, ascends to heaven. He says before he ascends to heaven, he's going to come back. So the time between when he ascended to heaven and the time between when he comes back from heaven on this earth, that time is what the Bible calls the last days. You guys following me? Yeah? So he says, look, you need to know this. In these last days, what's going to happen is there's going to be scoffers, specifically kind of trying to creep into the church. (laughs) You believe that? (laughs) Okay, your pastor's one of those? All right, at least your worship band's good, you know. (laughs) Scoffers. And he says specifically, listen, he says that they're going to scoff and they're going to do so, and here's here's their motivation, because they are walking according to their own lusts. In other words, listen, these scoffers are motivated by a desire to sin without consequence. Now, let's be honest. 
We, we, we should be honest with ourselves. We still want to sin at times, don't we? It's like a fight, isn't it? There's this part of you that thinks, oh, I kind of want to sin, but there's a part of you that goes, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to sin. And there's this war that happens inside of us. Galatians talks about this war between the flesh and the spirit. If you don't feel that war, it means you're probably not alive in Christ yet. But if you feel that war, you know, like, oh, I want to do the right thing, but I also kind of want to do the wrong thing, you know what I'm talking about. Well, these scoffers aren't believers. They're people that go, whatever, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to just do what I want. God wants me to be happy, right? So I'm going to do whatever I want, and don't tell me there's consequences for my sin. And usually when they're doing this, they're doing this by, by saying, okay, hey, did you tell us there's this grace stuff, you know, that Jesus loves us and he died for us and there's grace? Well, there's grace, so I can sin. That's what happens. There's grace, so I can sin. And so they continue in that direction. And Peter's saying, look, look out for these guys. It's, it's interesting because in the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about scoffers and, or mockers, and it, and it mentions how that, that these, uh, those who scoff, I, I wish I would have written it down, sorry. I thought I had it memorized. I guess I don't. But it's, it's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, I think. And it says, um, basically something to the lines that scoffers scoff out of their pride, but God gives grace to humble. It's a prideful thing to think, hey, I should be able to do what I want and there be no consequences for it. It's a prideful thing. It's a stupid thing. That doesn't work anywhere in life. Why would we think it would work with God? And he warns about these scoffers, and notice what he says. Listen, verse 4, he says, not only do they walk according to their own lust, but also he says, here's what they say. Where is the promise of his coming? Talking about Jesus' second coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So these guys are not just mocking Jesus' second coming, they're devaluing his first coming. Because they're going all the way back to creation and go and say, you know what? the world's the world, life is life, you know what I'm saying, okay, maybe we can learn some cool things from Jesus, and we like the potlucks and bringing chairs you guys do as Christians, so we'll kind of hang out, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, things are pretty much as they've always been, come on, Jesus didn't really change anything, and you say he's going to come back and change everything, what's the deal? And they scoff, they reject the reality of his coming, this is an interesting thing, because one of the things that often non-believers will say to me when I'm trying to share Jesus with them, they'll go, you know what, how can you believe in this God who lets so much junk happen in this world? Look at all the sickness, all the suffering, all the war. How can you say there's a God of love when that continues to happen? That's a fair question. That's a totally fair question. And the answer needs to be, number one, the God of love suffered with the people of this world. God became man and suffered. And the second part of the question is, and he's coming back and will rid the world of suffering. The scary thing is, it's also the cause of suffering, which is sin, which is connected to all of us. See, the thing is, though, they still scoff, oh, you're waiting for Jesus to come back. Yeah, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. These guys scoff. Now, it's interesting because now Peter, in, in verses 5 to 7, Peter's really going to kind of unpack the things that he says they willfully, uh, they willfully forget. This is, you might translate this as they're ignorant about on purpose, okay? 
And look at the things that he talks about. Notice, he says, for these, verse 5, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth is standing out of the water and in the water. He's describing creation, specifically the creation of the dividing of the, the land and sea. Now, what he says here, listen, he's saying, listen, they scoff because they refuse to consider the fact that God created the world with his word. He spoke the universe into existence. That's what the word universe means. I don't know if you know that. One word, universe, spoken into existence. Listen. The Bible says this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand the worlds were framed. How? By the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, we understand by faith that what God declares in His Word is that He there was nothing, He spoke, there was something. That's how the universe was created. That's what the Bible teaches. Scoffers will say, ah, come on. No one really believes that anymore. But also, this is what they're also willfully ignorant of. Okay, listen. He says, verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, and here's how it perished, being flooded with water. Notice he talks about the world that was created with God's word, now being flooded the whole world according to God's word. Look what the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. God says this to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is right before he floods the world. Now, I'm bringing this up because, remember, Peter is saying this. Peter's wanting us to understand. He's wanting the reader to understand that what scoffers refuse to see is the fact that God created the world with a spoken word. The design of the world communicates that. And that God he spoke judgment against the world. He said, look, this world is worthy to be judged, and he judged the whole earth at creation. I'm sorry, at, at the flood. That that's what he did with his word, okay? He spoke that with his word, okay? But also, look at this. Verse 7, he says, but the heaven and earth which are now, in other words, after uh, the flood, it seems to indicate there's a, the whole topography was different and also the whole atmosphere was different. That's what he means by heaven and earth there. The heavens and earth which were, are now are different than they were before, but these now, listen, are preserved by the same word. So in the words, the world that is now, God is holding it together and are reserved for this reason, for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Whew. In other words, the same word that God speaks into existence that which is not. The same word that says, this is worthy to be destroyed. That same word is sustaining this world now until the time of judgment. That's heavy, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest, that's hard to hear. It's hard for me to preach. But this is what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, scoffers scoff against that. Guys, listen, this fits exactly with the words of Jesus. Listen, Matthew 24, verses 35 to 37, Jesus says, heaven and earth will what? Pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. 
Uh, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But notice, as the days of Noah were, so also will the Son of Man be. Scoffers scoff against that. Isn't it ironic that people say, we would believe in God if the world wasn't so screwed up. So we say, oh, understand, God's coming back to fix the world. Now we, we can't believe in that. Oh, so you, you say you would believe in an all-powerful God and say He was good and loving if He'd fix things, but when we say He's coming back to fix things, you go, no, I can't accept that. <laughs> That's scoffing. Now, he, here's the point. Peter wants these guys to know, yes, this, this God is real, this God that you're trusting. Jesus is real. His word is trustworthy. And also, listen, his work is undeniable. He's the creator. He's the judge. He's the one who holds things together and is the one who gives the final say of judgment. But also, look what he says. And this is the, the key part, really, we wanted to look at today in verses 8 and 9. He says, but, all that being true, but, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand, as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, the second half of that verse, a thousand years as one day, is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 90, verse 4. He kind of adds the other bit because he's trying to make a point. He's, not, he's wanting to make sure, I think, that the people don't misinterpret that, that he's talking about Literally, like, oh, okay, this is how it works. So every thousand years equals one day, and it's always literally that way. He's trying to make a point that, no, this is, this is the way it works with God. It's, this is the way uh, one theologian put it, a guy named Wayne Grudem. He said, God sees all time equally vividly. Because we, we can't really conceive, right, of God being beyond space and time. We can go, okay, God's beyond space and time. What does that mean? What does that look like? It burns all of our brains up. So, but here's a reality. What it means is God sees all time equally vividly. So if I was to say to you, what did you do yesterday? You would recall certain memories and you'd give me a certain picture. And you'd probably know a pretty decent picture of what happened. If I said, so what happened on that date last year? You'd be, uh, uh. If I said, what's going to happen this date next year? You'd go, well, how am I supposed to know? But God, to God, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All things He sees equally visibly. Now, this is important. Stay with me. This is going to get a bit sort of heady, so please stay with me, all right? This is important. What that means is, and we have to understand this. This is a difficult thing to deal with, but it's a fact. What that means is God knows when God creates Heaven and earth, when God creates man, God knows who's going to be saved and who's not. This is why he can say these people are going to be in judgment. Again, Jesus said a similar thing. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, he gives a warning to people. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And notice, there are many who go in it, or go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. One of the things that is, is really difficult for us to understand, for us to accept, though it's one of the clearest teachers in Scripture, in scripture is that not every person is going to be 
saved. Not every person is going to get right with God. In fact, the majority of people aren't. That's really hard for us to accept. It's hard for me. But we need to understand something, okay? There's a huge difference between uh, all... uh, Let me say this right, okay. God saying many won't be saved doesn't mean God saying many can't be saved. There's a difference between won't and can't. Huge difference. My strong conviction is this. Though God knows who's going to be saved before He ever makes them, the truth is anyone who comes to turn from their sin but their faith in Jesus can be saved. This is why we should be motivated to get to know people and tell them the gospel. Because anybody can be saved. Even though we know a lot of people won't be. Now I'm bringing this up because one of the things I think that, that what Peter's trying to do here, he's trying to say, listen guys, I, I know that you're waiting for things to get sorted. I mean, do you think that the people that were around Peter's day understood all that's going to happen in the end times better than you understood? I don't think so. I think they wrestled with things the way we wrestled with things. We're going to find out in a couple of weeks where Peter says, you know, the stuff that Paul writes, ah, uh, they're really hard to understand. So if Peter thinks Paul's hearts, writings are hard to understand, it's okay that we kind of wrestle with how do these things work, okay? But what they did know and what they did believe, this is why he's stirring up their genuine belief, what they did believe is Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make all things right. And they're kind of thinking, when? Lord, when? Is that really going to happen? And, and Peter's want to say, it's guaranteed to happen. Remember, God sees it happened He sees all time vividly the same. It's a done deal in his mind. It's done. So then we ask the question, Peter's audience would ask the question, well, why is he waiting so long? This is why. Look at verse 9. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is why. The reason Jesus has to come back and sort everything out is he's waiting for more people to get saved because he knows more people are going to be saved. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about that the next time you feel like, I am so sick of living in this planet. I am so sick of how difficult it is in this life. The next time you feel that way, remember, this is why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Because he's waiting for people to be saved. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your coworker. But he has other people that he is going to save, that he knows will turn to him. And he's waiting. There's something great about this too because what's, what's, to me what's really cool about this verse 9 is that we, we, we not only are seeing in this, this section that his, God's word is trustworthy and that God's work is undeniable, but we're seeing here that his timing is absolutely perfect because God's doing something while we're waiting, guys. The, the fact that God's, God is waiting, his timing actually reveals something to us about his character, about what he's like. Listen. It says, listen, it says that, uh, he says, God's not slack concerning his promise. In other words, God's going to fulfill every good promise he makes to us. 
This is what he said. Okay, in that time, we're, we're learning to say, yes, I'm going to believe for all the good promises of God because he's promised he's going to bring them to pass. This is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 120. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. That's good news, isn't it? But also he says, listen, for this is why God's uh, not slack, but he is long-suffering. This is a great word. You know what it means to be long-suffering? This is deep. You guys ready? It means to suffer for a long time. <laughs> Pretty deep. I want you to think about that. If God's long-suffering, it means he's willing to suffer for a long time. Do you recognize this is what God's doing? It is, have you ever been in a place that smelled so bad you thought you were going to lose your lunch? Sorry, not to be gross, you're going to eat soon, I know, but you know what I'm saying. Have you ever been in a place you're like, oh, I can't stand the smell? Or a sight, it's so repulsive, you're like, I can't be here. That's how our sin is to God. That's how the world's sin is to God. It's an abomination that makes him sick. Why does God endure it? Why did, how can God endure seeing children abused, women exploited, men kill each other? How can He stand it? He is suffering long because He wants more people to be saved. That's why. That's why He holds back. That's why He holds back His wrath. He's suffering long. Guys, think about this. Isn't this exactly what we see in Jesus, willing to suffer for our salvation? I mean, he even said at times to his disciples, how long do I have to endure with you guys? <laughs> You're driving me nuts. <laughs> but he endured with them because he loved them because he knew he was saving them. Listen, here's what the Bible says, Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to Repentance. Listen, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks. This whole book is full of the wrath of God, and rightly so, because false teachers are a very, a very serious threat, and I need to know how serious it is to mess with God's people. But do you understand what's going to cause us to repent is the fact that God, though he should judge us, doesn't. He's waiting because he wants us to be his. Isn't that amazing? You know what's amazing about that too? Is that once we're his, here's what God says about us, once we're his, he says you are no longer appointed to wrath. <laughs> that means though I'm sure God is grieved by our sin and I, I'm sure that God, we can quench the work of God by our sin. The Bible's pretty clear about that. We grieve the spirit, we quench the spirit. God's not gonna pour out his wrath on us, guaranteed, because he already did it on Jesus. Once we're in Christ, it's already done with. He's that good. He's that long-suffering. Also, he says he's not willing that any should perish. Let me finish with these few verses quickly. He says, in 1 Timothy 2.4, the Bible says, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All. Do you realize that God wants people to be saved? See, we get, we get impatient. We lose our, our patience with people. We give up on people quickly, don't we? Forget that person. Forget them. Write them off. Because we think we know what's happening. And man, a lot of times we just don't. I used to mock Christians before I was a Christian. That, that we had Christians in our high school. You know, it's high school in America is 14 years old, 18 years old, and these, these Christians, the girls were really cute, so I was always flirting with them, and the guys were just nerds. No, no, sorry, 
They were. And so I was constantly making fun of these guys. I was, the guy, they, they were into this band called Striper in the 80s, this Christian band called Striper. Ridiculous band, by the way. <laughs> but spandex and you know, horrible. Anyway. And they had, they, had, they had this album that actually did really well on the charts, surprisingly. And it was called To Hell with the Devil. And so this guy had a t-shirt on it. We said To Hell with the Devil. I used to make fun of him. To Hell with the Devil. All the time. I'd make fun of him all the time when he wore that shirt. Follow him around. To Hell with the Devil. Am I the devil? And I'd just mock this poor guy all the time. The truth was, if he would have turned around and said, do you know who the devil is? Do you know who God is? I probably would have got saved. Because I was actually asking huge questions about who is, what's, what's, what's authority? What's morality? Who gets to choose what's right or wrong? Why do I have to listen to anybody? Why do I feel bad about stuff that I think is okay to do? What's going on? I had all these massive questions in my head, but because I was going, oh, the hell with the devil, he was too afraid to ask. And sometimes we think, oh, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't want to know about God. How do you know God's not doing something in his heart? I heard a preacher say once, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that got hit. <laughs> Sometimes the people that are most annoyed by the gospel are the ones that God's dealing with their heart. If you're here today and you're going, I wish this guy would just shut up, it's probably because God's dealing with your heart. No, he wants all to be saved. Listen, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than angels. In other words, he was made a man for the suffering of death crowned with uh, glory and honor. Notice that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for who? Everyone. And this is why, like Adam mentioned last week, this is why the scripture says In Acts chapter 17, Paul says this when he's preaching to unbelievers. He says, truly, these times of ignorance, talking about times in the past, these times of ignorance God has overlooked but now commands who? All men, everywhere to repent. Why would God give that command if they couldn't do it? No. Most won't, but all can. If they hear the gospel and the Spirit deals with their hearts, They can repent, they can believe, and they can be saved. And I'll tell you, I have no other way to look at this verse than to see that God wants people to be saved. That's why he's waiting. I I know this world is horrible. (laughs) I, I know it's so, there's a lot of beautiful things, obviously, there's a lot of great things in this world, a lot of good things that we should be thankful for. But I know it feels like the world system's getting worse. I know it's harder, getting harder and harder to be a Christian. I know you, you probably feel it. If you're a believer, you feel what I feel. You kind of more and more push to the outside. I get that. It's difficult. And you think, man, Lord, how long? But don't forget, we serve the long-suffering God because he wants people to be saved. 